to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals?
taking your anger out on me. I'm not angry. Can you keep it down a little bit? We are in front of the church. Okay? So, let's take it from the top. Just like rehearsal. Deep breath. Come on. Deep breath. All right? You'll be just fine. Here we go. Here we go. How many times have I heard that? Fine. You want to be that way? You are not my problem. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. <laughs> you bother me so much. You, Mr. Christian, Mr. Fancy, crossing there, think you're God's gift of the year. God's gift? temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. For when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up on it. First Corinthians 10. Thank you. Well, thank you, Bud, and thank you, Abby, so much. Morning, church. Hey, welcome to Grace. <clears throat> if you haven't figured it out from the scripture reading out of Jonah and from the uh, skit that we just did, uh, today we're taking a look at the third uh, sin from what has historically been called the seven deadly sins. And uh, we are going to be looking at anger this morning. So uh, please don't get angry about it. <laughs> we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about anger. Um, so uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time. Uh, I usually like to stick in one text. However, there are so many verses that pertain to anger in the Scriptures that I have to cover multitude of texts. So uh, get your Bible out, and we're going to flip around. If you don't have access to your own Bible or the Bible in the pew back behind you, most of the text that we'll be talking about and covering should be on your screen. As you're gra- uh, grabbing your text, let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for an opportunity to be together as your family. As brothers and sisters, uh, children who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our big brother Jesus, who became like us in every way without sin, who lived a perfect life to not only show us how to do it, but to, to gain a perfect righteousness where we fell short. Jesus, thank you that you not only lived the perfect life, but you died a substitutionary death, that you died on the cross, in our place, bearing the very anger and wrath of your Father for our place, for our sins, and that you rose from the dead, gaining victory over death and sin and Satan in the world. And you offer us eternal life, salvation, a reconciled relationship with you, that we might be called your children, 
that we might be adopted into your family, that we might have a new extended family of brothers and sisters who place their faith in Christ, and that we together might fight sin with the help of the Holy Spirit, who is God himself in us, enabling us to have victory over all sin, including the sin of anger. Father, in particular, we turn our hearts and our minds' attention to your word on this um, temptation and sin that besets us all. Father, we are all angry, wrongly, and we need help. And so we ask that this sermon, that the hearing and preaching of your word would be helpful for us, that we might not be angry people, but we might be people who love what is holy and just and right, that we might be patient, abounding in loving kindness and slow to anger, and that we might remove it as dirty clothes from our backs. We ask for your help in this. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our King of kings, our Savior, and our great God. And all of God's people together said, Amen. So I want to share with you, uh, to get us started, a quick story. Um, I've spoken of this before, so I won't belabor the point. But my junior year of high school, my partner and I went to the World Science Fair. Yes, Nerd Central, the World Science Fair, okay? So um, not the regional, not the state, not the national, but the World Science Fair. Um, We talked about pride a few weeks ago, so I can say that, right? It's no big deal. Um, So our junior year was really successful in this science fair endeavor. So our senior year, we anticipated great things. We thought it was a shoe-in to make it to the World Science Fair yet again, and we had a really good project. In fact, we did a study. Uh, Trey, what did you do a study on? Well, let me tell you. We did a study on uh, antioxidants uh, and how they can help prevent free radicals in the air, which ultimately can cause cancer. Um, sounds confusing. Well, apparently, it was confusing not only to um, you, but to the judges, because we went to the first round, the regional science fair there in Corpus Christi, Texas, where I grew up, and we thought it was a gimme. It was a slam dunk. We had an awesome project. We did lots and lots of good work, scientific study. We spent lots of time in the lab and in the x-ray nuking fruit flies. Yep, we nuked fruit flies in an x-ray machine. It was awesome. Some of them died. Some of them didn't. And in case you're wondering, we came to, to discover that eating your antioxidants is helpful in preventing free radicals. And we thought, that this was great news. Apparently, the judges didn't think so because we did not even get first or second or third place in the very beginning, rinky-dink, Corpus Christi Science Fair. So needless to say, we were devastated. We had done so much work. We had this great idea that was going to save the world. And nobody knew it. Nobody believed it. Maybe they didn't understand it. Maybe we didn't understand it. I don't know. But it, it didn't matter because we didn't make it out. So how did I respond to this? Well, how would you respond to it? Um, Of course, we were frustrated and very upset, uh, very disappointed for all the work that we had put in, and and all of it went to naught. Um, And and not only was I frustrated, upset, I was angry. I was angry. And so as we um, left the auditorium, I was fuming, uh, steam out of the ears, right, out of the nostrils, eyes, beet red, all that stuff, very, very angry. And I was carrying with me my science board. You know what that is, right? It's the board where you present all your data. And I had this big science board, which literally we had worked on for 
over 100 hours, lots of time, lots of detail. It was a great science board, and I'm carrying it under my arm, and I'm walking to my car, and with every step, I'm getting angrier and angrier, and the, and the emotion is, is building, and I'm so frustrated. And so I get to the, the, the car, and I pop the trunk, and I'm going to put my board in the trunk and, and drive home. Now, my partner is a, a few minutes behind me, so I'm walking, and, and, I, and I stand the thing up, and before I decide to put it into the car, a fit of rage overcame me. And I thought that it was the board's fault that we lost. And so I took my fist and I started to hit it. And I started to kick it. And I started to tear at it. And I started to probably throw it on the ground. And I might have even jumped on it. I'm not sure because I was very, very angry. And I went into a fit of rage at the science board because I lost the science fair. And I beat it up and tore it to shreds. And I was oh, kind of huffing and puffing because I just vented on this poor science board. And uh, my partner comes up, uh, you know, he's like a minute or two behind me, and he looks at the board, and he's very stoic, and he says something like, Trey, um, you know that next week's science fair at school? Yeah. Well, we have to use that board for our final grade, right? You know that? Yeah. So you just tore it up. Yeah, we'll redo it, okay? Uh, And we did. We redid it from scratch. So I don't know about you, but maybe you've been in my shoes before. Maybe you've been so angry that steam is coming out your ears. Maybe you've been in my shoes that so angry that fire is coming out your nostrils. Maybe you've been in my shoes so angry that you wanted to hit something or throw something. Or maybe you did hit something or throw something. So livid that you said things that, of course, you would later regret and did things that you would later regret. So furious with with this explosive emotion, which is called anger. Have you been there before? Please shake your head at me so I don't feel like the only sinner in the room. Have you been angry before? I trust that all of us, in one way, shape, or form, have had a similar experience. We have been angry before, sinfully angry before. And so, since I think we all have been in the same boat, what we need is a plan of attack. We need to know how to deal with our anger. And as weeks passed, that plan involves asking and answering some questions. And so if you're taking notes, here's a bit of a preview as to where we're going this morning. Four questions that hopefully will will navigate us and kind of guide us through the subject of anger. The first one is uh, What is anger? Quite simply, we need to understand what it is so that we can fight it. Number two, what is the root of anger? So when we start off with the definition of anger, very quickly, we're going to discover what is lurking underneath our anger. What is the real trigger of our anger? And it may not be what you expect. Number three, what does the Bible say about anger? I've said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't matter what I say about anger. It doesn't matter what a psychologist says about anger. It doesn't really matter what you say about anger. What matters is what God says about anger. So we'll briefly look at that. And then finally, how do we fight it? How do we, how do we overcome those science fair moments when we're walking back to our car and we feel the emotions stirring in our soul and we feel the fire steaming from all um, exit points in our body, right? What do we do? How do we handle that? How do we fight well, let's begin with question number one. Let's begin with some definitions, okay? What, what is anger? And you may be thinking to yourself, that's pretty easy, Trey. We know what anger is. We've experienced 
anger, but it may not be quite as simple as you think. In fact, when I began to study, I found it really wasn't as simple as, as I anticipated. In fact, in my humble opinion, anger is a complex issue, and it's kind of nuanced. It's a nuanced definition. So let's, let's look at some de- definitions. First of all, uh, I began with Easton's Bible Dictionary. That essentially uh, helps us define words that we see in the Bible. So it answers the question, what, you know, what does the Bible say anger is? How does it define it? It tries its best to do that biblically. And here's what Easton's says. Anger is the emotion of instant displeasure on account of something evil that presents itself to our view. So let's just think about this for a second. First of all, anger is an emotion. I think that's easy to see, right? We, we assume that. Anger is an emotion of instant displeasure. It's not just an emotion, but it's an, an emotion, of course, of displeasure. We don't like it, right? It's, it's a negative emotion. And it comes uh, on the account of something, according to Easton, something evil that presents itself into our view. It comes into our, our experience, and we say, this is wrong, This is evil. Okay, let's look at another one, and we'll put it together. Webster's, of course, common dictionary says this, that anger is a strong feeling, so there's the emotion. It's a strong feeling of being upset or annoyed because of something wrong or bad. Again, we see very uh, similar comments. It's an emotion, and it's brought about when we see something that upsets us, it, it annoys us, and that something is, is something that we define as wrong, right? It's a wrong thing. It's a wrong experience. It's, it's bad, right? It's not to our liking, and so we experience this emotion. Uh, I'd like to point to a, a third, I think, helpful definition that clarifies what anger is. Christian, uh, a Christian author, author by the name of Marsha Cannon, she's written a book called The Gift of Anger, and in that book, this is what she says about anger. I think it's a helpful uh, definition. She says this. She says, you become angry. Now, listen to this closely. You become angry when you define reality as unacceptable. And you feel unable to easily correct it, tolerate it, or let it go. So, what's the common theme here that we see as we try to to get our grasp on anger? The common theme of these definitions is that anger is an emotional response. It's a reaction. So it's not an original sin. It's a reactionary sin, in a sense. It's an emotional response, a reaction to a reality that comes into our life experience. And that reality we define as evil or wrong or bad or unacceptable or, as Cannon says, intolerable. So what is evil? It's the emotional response when something comes into our life and we deem that something, that reality, that experience as either either inherently evil or just bad or wrong or we just don't care for it. We don't like it. That's what anger is. However, it's not just an emotional response, but that emotional response can actually manifest itself in a multitude of different ways. So when we think of anger normally, we think of my story, right? We think of kicking and screaming and yelling and stomping, right? That's what we think of, and, and that is a true, a right manifest, a man, manifestation of anger. But, but anger actually shows up differently in different people. 
Uh, one author by the name of Brian Hedges, I've quoted him again in his book, Hit List. He says that there is hot anger, which is kind of my anger that I illustrated, and then there's cold anger. So think about which one may define you. He, he says this. He says, to be irritable is to get angry too easily. This, he says, is hot anger. It's easily provoked. It's, it's the quick-tempered wrath of a volatile hothead who flies into a fit of rage at the, at the slightest aggravation. That is what we normally think of anger. However, there's a, another side of anger, he says. He says, to be resentful, on the other hand, to be resentful is to stay angry too long. There's the flip side of anger. It's to be resentful, to stay angry for too long. This, he says, is cold anger. He said, it's the record-keeping wrath of a bitter, cold-hearted person who always remembers, never forgets, and never forgives. Been there before? Know a person like that? It may be you. And so it's an emotional response of, of hot or cold, and however that emotional response manifests itself, here's the rub. Here's the rub with anger. Sometimes the reality that evokes that hot response or the reality that evokes that cold response, sometimes it actually is evil, like biblically evil. It's wrong. Sometimes that which comes into our life or is done to us is wrong, moral, moral, it's evil. And so we get angry. But sometimes, sometimes, and may I suggest maybe more often than not, that reality which comes into our experience, that evokes the hot or the cold anger, is simply unwanted. It's simply unwanted by us. And that is why, unlike the other six sins that we have or will study, anger is not inherently evil. Let me repeat that so I want you to understand it. That is why anger inherently... In and of itself, it is not inherently evil. So you read the scriptures, and uh, there's, there's a character that is in the, in the Bible. You may know his name. His name's God. He's the main character in the Bible. And when you read through the Bible, what, what do you find out? You find out a whole, thing, a whole tons about God. But one of the things you see is that God gets angry. God himself gets angry, and because God is altogether holy and incapable of any, any evil, anger must not, by definition, be inherently evil. We have to understand this so we can grasp the anger in our lives. God gets mad. Here's just a few, a few samples. Psalm 711. The psalmist says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. So just think about that. Every day day of our life and every day that passes, not a day that goes by where God, who according to the scripture is a righteous judge, does not feel anger. Every day, God gets anger. Anger. Why is that? It's because he gets angry at the right thing. He gets angry at sin. He gets angry at anything that does not glorify him. He gets angry at anything that's not for our good. And we fail, the world fails to glorify and honor him every day. And so he's a righteous judge. 
the response of a righteous judge to sin is anger. God gets angry. Jesus, who's God in flesh, he got angry. He was a man's man. He got angry righteously. Mark 3, 5, after looking around at them, he, Jesus, this is a story in Mark, and he has just encountered a man with a withered hand, and the religious leaders are trying to set him up. And so they test him, and he knows that they're just trying to trick him, and they don't care about the, the, the hurting man. They just care about tricking Jesus. And so it says, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, Jesus got angry at sin. Paul says that Christians, you and I, that we should also be angry. We should be angry. Ephesians 2.6 Be angry and yet do not what? Sin. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4.26 So Paul says that anger should characterize the life of the Christian in an appropriate manner. So then that begs the question, what is appropriate anger and what is not? What is holy anger like God experiences and what is unholy anger like we experience? Well, it's a complicated question, but I want to help us out the best that I can. Robert Jones has written a book called Uprooting Anger. And in that book, he suggests some criteria, three criteria to help us distinguish between a righteous anger and a holy anger. And I quote, he says, righteous anger, number one, reacts against actual sin, while sinful anger reacts against perceived sin or wrong. So righteous anger, he says, there is actually a sin that the Bible says is a sin, and so it's right for us to react, and yet sinful actor perceives sin. It's a perceived wrong, but not real. Number two, righteous anger, he says, focuses on God. That is the object of the anger is is God, his kingdom, his rights. His concerns, while sinful anger, he suggests, focuses on me, my kingdom, my rights, and my concerns. We'll get back to that in a second. Number three, he says righteous anger is accompanied by godly qualities, such as love and patience and kindness, while sinful anger is accompanied by hurtful qualities, such as malice, shouting, violence, and the like. Again, another author by the name of Parnell in his, books, in his book, Killjoy, I think he helps us as well. He says this. He says, we must look then to the motivations for anger. Remember that. We must look then to the motivations for anger, the responses angry people have to the realities around them, to begin to understand the anger of sinful human beings and how it differs from God's righteous wrath. He says, both God and man experience anger, but it, it, but it is the cause of anger. It is the cause of anger, not the experience of it, that qualifies it as sinful or righteous. And that leads us right into our second question. We've seen hopefully what anger is, but what is actually at the root of anger? You could say, what is the cause, the ultimate cause of anger? Here it is. You ready? Write this down in your mind or on paper. The root of anger is love. The root of anger is actually love. Now you may think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Let me try to make the murky clear. This seems somewhat contrary, but hear me out on this. Think about it. Anger is our emotional response to what threatens 
someone or something that we love. So when we get angry, something that we love or someone that we love is being threatened. Anger is love in action to protect what we love. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. It's the fluid that, that, that love bleeds when you cut it. So the question then becomes, as we seek to understand what is the root of our anger, is what we are loving good or evil? Is what we are loving proportionate to how we should love it? Are we loving something too much? Are we putting it out of place? Are we loving it before God? So here's an example to help us grasp this. Here's an example. We should be angry at things. We should be angry when wicked people prey on the helpless in our society. We should be angry at child abuse in our culture and in our lives. We should be angry at domestic violence. We should be angry at abortion and sex trafficking and school shootings and racism. Why? Why should we be angry at those things? And here's the answer. It's because it's righteous to love the people who are being hurt, right? It's righteous. We are angry when the the wicked prey on the helpless because we love the needy, right? And we're angry at child abuse because we love kids. And we're angry at domestic violence because we love spouses and healthy marriages, right? We are angry angry at abortion because we love babies. We should be angry at sex trafficking because we love innocent young boys and girls, right? We love them. We should be angry at school shootings because we love our school district and the schools that our children attend. We should be angry at racism because we love people from every tribe and every nation and every color and every race. You see what I'm getting at? The root of anger of all of our anger, is actually love. So, unfortunately, if we examine, and when I examine most of my instances of anger, and I want you to think right now at when you're angry, instances, examples, relationships, unfortunately, what is at the bottom of most of our anger is self. We will find less than righteous loves and less than righteous motives. And so when we're foaming at the mouth with frantic fury, when our three-year-old spills her milk again, never happens in our house, but when that happens in your house, and we're foaming at the mouth angry, when we're simmering silently, when somebody cuts us off in traffic, when we explode at our spouse because they, again, leave the shoes on the floor when we ask them to put them in the closet or when we explode at our spouse because after a long day of work, we feel underappreciated, or when we don't get invited to the party and we really wanted to go to the party, it's likely because we're loving ourselves too much. The cause of sinful anger is idolatrous love. That is, when our idol is threatened, we respond with anger. And so if you don't hear anything else, tune in right now. If you want to know why you get angry, if I want to know why I get angry, we need to look at the things that we love. 
If you want to know why you get angry, look at what you're loving. Brian Hedges, again, in his book, says, Idolatrous hearts are spring-loaded to retaliate once their desires are crossed. What is he saying? He's saying anger is the mousetrap-like response to the cheese of our idolatrous hearts being messed with, being tampered. And so as I've thought about it in my life, I ask myself, why do I get angry? I thought about instances of my own anger. Answer? Well, here's just three examples. I get angry when my peace of mind, when my comfort, when my ease is disturbed. For instance, like when kids incessantly ask for food or for help, and I'm trying to rest. In that moment, what am I loving? I'm loving ease and comfort more than I'm loving my kids. Or for instance, I get angry when I'm blamed, either rightly so or wrongly so. If I get blamed, I get angry very quickly. Why is that? Well, it's because I love my reputation, and I love being right more than I love repentance and making things right. I get angry when my schedule's thrown off. How about you? Schedule's thrown off, get a little frustrated. I get angry because I love the lie that the ability to use my time as I want it will make me happy. My idol's being messed with. And so I get angry. What about you? What triggers your anger? You'll find out when you find out what you're loving. What does the Bible say about anger? Really quickly here. Seven things the Bible says about anger. Number one, it makes us guilty before a holy God, like all other sins and worthy of hell. Jesus is explicit. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Like every other sin, anger makes us guilty and worthy of hell. Praise God that Christ pays for sins, all of our sins, all of my angry outbursts in the past, today, and in the future are covered by the blood of Christ if we simply trust in him. Number two, Christians are to fight it. That makes sense. We're to fight anger, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, very first in Paul's list. Wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. We are to fight it, and we're going to learn how in just a minute. Number three, it leads to other sins. We've seen this with the other seven deadly sins. They're root sins, and they lead to other sins. Proverbs 29 22, an angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. So when we're angry, let me ask you, when you're angry, do you sin some more? Do you do things that you regret? Absolutely. When we're angry, it leads to other sins. Number four, it hinders our prayers. 1 Timothy 2.8, therefore, Paul says, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I think the indication is, is that when we lift up our hands in prayer with wrath and with dissension, we're not lifting up holy hands, and it hinders our prayers. Number five, it gives Satan an opportunity. This one hit me like a ton of bricks, and I hope it hits you. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Paul says, we've heard this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. In the Greek, it says, do not give the devil a place. A place. What Paul is saying is that if we harbor anger, we are giving Satan an opportunity for further damage. Imagine that you go home uh, one night for dinner, and uh, if you're married, let's just pretend in this scenario you're married, and uh, your spouse has set the dinner 
table and the food is all ready, and you notice that there's one extra place setting at your table. And you're like, oh, honey, who, who's coming to dinner tonight? Who did you invite? The neighbors or you know, a niece or nephew? And who's coming? And he or she says, well, uh, I, inv- I invited a very special guest tonight. And his name's Satan. What would you say? How would you respond? You would think she or he is crazy. You wouldn't want to invite Satan into your house. Paul says, if we harbor anger, that is exactly what we are doing. You inviting Satan to dinner in your life? Number six, it hurts our personal righteousness. That makes sense. It hinders our Christian growth. James 1, 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That is, practically in our life, when we allow anger a a foothold, we're not growing in practical holiness and righteousness. And number seven, this is a a, a simple statement. We all know it. It hurts our relationships. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. It hurts our relationships. How many homes, how many schools, how many friendships, how many families, how many churches are spiritual and emotional Chernobyls that is, they're devastated by the radioactive, uh, radioactive fallout of our anger. It hurts relationships. And so we're going to close with this. How do we fight it? How do we fight anger? Three things. Three things. Number one, <clears throat> we need to analyze our anger. We need to analyze our anger. So you've likely seen a movie or a TV show. It's very common. The policemen bring in a suspect Right? The cops bring in a suspect, and they are in a, an interrogation room. And it's a, maybe a small room with glass, and you know, other people are looking on. And they're grilling this guy or this gal because they think that he or she is a suspect uh, to a, a potential crime. And so they pepper the guy or the gal with questions to get to the bottom of what happened. And friends, to fight anger, we must do the same. We must act as stealth interrogators of ourselves, of our own angry experiences. And so we must, in the moment, as we feel the anger juices arising, starting to boil inside, we need to ask, in that moment, what am I loving so much right now that it is making me act and respond this way? We need to ask, what is it in this moment that I value? What do I care about right now? What is so important to me in this moment that I am so defensive and so emotional? Again, Parnell says, interrogating our affections is the best way to mute misplaced aggressions. And so we need to analyze our anger in the moment, which leads to identifying our idol. And that's step number two. When we analyze our anger, hopefully what is unearthed is our idol, our love, what we love more than what we should. For instance, when I get irate over a child who throws a fit, an all-out fit to be tied like a hog, and I feel myself being frustratingly angry. I need to ask the diagnostic questions. And usually what I find is what is making me mad is not so much their disobedience to me or their disobedience to God, but the idolatry of my peace of mind. Or maybe if it's in public, the idol of my reputation because you're in Walmart or in the grocery store at Meijer or wherever and the kid, boy, they're throwing a fit and everybody's looking at you, right? What is the idol that's being messed with in your heart in that moment? In that moment. Identifying our idols is often difficult. So a good idea might be 
to have a journal, to write down in a month's time, say, every instance where you were angry, jot down the details, how did you feel, what triggered it, and then look back, say in a month or five weeks or three weeks, and my guess is you will see some repeated themes about the trigger. And you can ask the diagnostic questions and get to the heart of the matter, which is idolatry, which leads us to the third way we fight anger, and that is to simply love what God loves. Think about it. If sinful anger is loving ourselves and things too much, then we fight anger by aligning our loves and our heart with God, right? Parnell, again, he hits the nail on the head. He says this, it's only there when we see God's love. That is, what is it that God loves? Those are things worth being angry about. He says, when we see God's love, when we align our loves with his that our anger can be sanctified. Loving like he loves is the only chance our anger has of being made right. He says the antidote to anger isn't stoicism or cool indifference. It's loving like crazy what is most lovable, and that is everything that God loves. He says the, de- the demise of sinful anger starts with our relentless pursuit to be enthralled by God, to be overcome by him and then to be moved by him to value what he values. And so when I love what God loves, when I'm pursuing him through all the disciplines, prayer, reading, service, sacrifice, giving, silence, solitude, on and on and on I go. When we're connecting with God, our loves are being purified so that when we see something that he loves, then we being threatened, then we should be angry at it. And then we can do what Paul says is be angry and do not sin. So here's, here's the closing question for all of us. We need to allow God to ask us the question that he asked to Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. Two questions. Why are you angry? And then second, do you have any good reason to be angry? There are good reasons to be angry. And there are a multitude of, good re- of reasons to not. So what's, what's making you angry? Let's pray.